Um, I'm going to do something a little different this morning as I start because I try to be sensitive to, to, the, to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and, and one of the guys this morning uh, made mention to me of a specific incident in my life that some of you know about, but many of the newer guys do not know about. Uh, and it's an issue that, re- that really speaks to the issue of forgiveness, to the forgiveness. And so I want to start with this because it's germane to the lesson of David uh, because we see the lesson of David and, this, and the spirit of David as he continually will forgive Saul for 15 years of hatred uh, and attempted killing. Uh, and so this, this goes back uh, to the uh, uh, early 90s uh, and it was involved, actually it goes back to late 90s uh, and it involves a dear friend of mine who I had known for many years who built a, a project uh, of condominiums, luxury condominiums, on the Hudson River just above the George Washington Bridge. They sat out on the water. It was just a beautiful project. Uh, and it, it should have been incredibly successful. But then what happened is the real estate collapse hit it. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, the project went bankrupt. Now, my involvement was that at some point in time, I had invested some amount of money in it, but it wasn't a very significant amount. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I thought the project was very viable. But my friend, had, at a point, needed to get a riparian grant from the state of New Jersey because he was out in the water with these. And so he had asked me if uh, uh, I, would, I would sign a guarantee uh, for the mortgage company uh, on the riparian grant. Uh, and I looked at the documents, and, and I believe that it was uh, crystal clear that he was entitled to it. Uh, and so I signed a, a, a bond of responsibility uh, for, I signed half, and another guy signed half, uh, to guarantee to the mortgage company that, that if the repairing grant was not issued, that we would step up and pay a certain amount of money. Uh, well, it took an inordinate amount of time to get the repairing grant issued, such so that the, the property uh, was foreclosed. Uh, and now the bank sells the property, sells the property, and an investor comes in and buys the property uh, from the bank. The investor was uh, not a good man. Not a good man. Uh, in fact, <coughs> the investor had a terrible reputation uh, throughout the northern part of New Jersey uh, for a guy who would take no prisoners. There was a recent story about him within the last two years, just to show you the kind of guy he was, where the New York Times talked about him because he, had, he bought Adolf Hitler's Mercedes-Benz. I mean, if you bought it to set it on fire, that would be one thing. <laughs> All right, can you imagine having that in your, in your collection? Uh, and so <clears throat> now uh, he begins to sue both me and the other guy uh, and now he's looking to, to sue us, not just to guarantee the riparian issue, but to guarantee the entire credit worthiness of the entire project, which is now many, many millions of dollars, which was never intended to be, was never, never in the documents. And in fact, as the litigation begins, the state of New Jersey issues the riparian. They issues the riparian. So according to, to my lawyer, I should, I should be out of the case, but this guy would, would not relent. And so what happens now is for the next four years, I'm sucked into 
litigation in which I'm spending incredible amounts of money to defend myself on something I shouldn't have to defend myself. All, this is all going on while I'm trying to advance the Bible study, while I'm trying to advance the work of God. Uh, and if you don't think that Satan was behind this, then, then I have not been doing a very good job in teaching you how, how Satan operates. Satan wanted to take my eyes off the cross. He wanted me to give, out, give it up, not to focus. And let me tell you something. I would spend day after day praying to God, why are you allowing this in my life? As I'm spending significant amounts of money, having to go through depositions, having to answer interrogatories. And there are those people here in this room who are going through similar things. I know it because I've been praying for you. And so this goes on for three years, and, and the guy who developed the project was a witness and couldn't understand it himself. Couldn't understand it himself. And this guy was relentless in his pursuit of, of me uh, and the other person until finally uh, the case is going to trial. We couldn't settle. The guy w wouldn't listen to anything. And so the case is going to trial, and I asked God to give me wisdom and pray for me. And, and so I fly up to New Jersey uh, to the courthouse, I'm in a courthouse uh, and waiting for the judge to come out. Uh, and I see this man uh, standing outside uh, the courtroom doors. And I said to my lawyer, I'm going to go over and I'm going to talk to him. Uh, and I'm going to pray with him. And my lawyer said, what? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm going to go over and I'm going to pray with him because I don't think anybody's ever prayed with him. I'm gonna pray with him before this case starts. And so I walked over to him and I said, uh, I said, you know, I said, uh, I know we have this case and I understand that we can't get together, but God has laid on my heart that, that you are suffering a great deal. You're suffering. Uh, and God has spoken to me about that. And, and I would like to pray with you oh he goes oh yes i am suffering i am suffering i'm persecuted i am persecuted i said well i think god knows that and i think god wants to speak to you and i would like to pray with you right now and so at that moment i said let's bow our heads now i want you to understand something all right this is not my father in the uh, arlington diner saying grace over lunch this is a courtroom, a major courtroom in a hallway in which there are a lot of people in the hallway. And I take this guy and I bow my head and he, he bows his head and I begin to pray with him. And I ask the Lord to touch him, to give him peace. I said, Father, give us wisdom in this case. Help us to find a way, Lord, that we may, that we may come out of this so that there's dignity and respect all around. I'm recognizing what this, what this is about. Lord, I put this in your name. I ask you, Father, to intervene. And so, at that moment, when I got done praying, uh, and he looks up and he said, thank you, I, I really appreciate that. I said, now, let me say something to you. Let me say something to you. Uh, I think God, God would like you to become part of the kingdom of God. I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll consider that. Uh, I, I'm available for you at any time. You can call me at any time. I will pray with you. I will speak to you. 
I want you to know that. I, I said, what's going on here? I, have, I hold no animus on it. This I understand this is a business issue that you're trying to, yes, it's not personal. It's not, per- I understand that. I said, but let's find, let's find a way. May I suggest that you look at it this way? And I laid out in a very calm way, a way to look at it. And I made a proposal. And for the first time in like five years of litigation, he said to me, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll agree to that. Uh, And I knew that that was the will of God, that God intended for me to do it. Now, I would like to tell you that after that, that this man became a Christian uh, because I never heard from him again. I called him three times. He never returned my call. Um, And so I can't explain to you that that had a lasting impact in his life. But I will tell you other things. Lawyers in my firm have told me that they've been in court with lawyers who were in the building on that day. And other lawyers who were in the building on that day who are not Christians told them that one of them said to one of my partners, the most amazing thing I ever saw was the day John Garippa prayed for a guy outside the courtroom in in Hackensack uh, Superior Court. He said, I never would, I never, ever would think that that guy would pray. I knew that guy and I was astonished. That will be something I will never forget for the rest of my life. Now there you go. You see how God can use some aspect of your life for some divine appointment that you have no idea about. And I'm going to tell you about it. It relates to forgiveness. What do you think it took for me to forgive somebody who was suing me that I had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend myself on something I shouldn't have had to defend myself, that he would never listen to reason. But you see how God uses. God says to us, we're different. We're not like the world. God expects us to step up and have a forgiving spirit. And so because I had prayed, and and I had so many of you praying for me, a lot of you prayed for me, uh, that I went up there and I had a peace in my heart that I could say to my lawyer, I'm going to go over there and pray for him. didn't matter what my lawyer said. I'm going to go over there and pray for him. Uh, And my lawyer, who had spent years in trying to settle a case, looked at me and said, I never would have believed it in my life. I never would have believed it. And so do you see how God gives you opportunities that you may not expect? And so I'm giving you this lesson today to let you understand how God wants you to live your life. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when you're in difficulties, God says, pray, lay it before my throne, be forgiving, show forgiveness. And because I had the kind of spirit where I could say to the guy, look, I don't, I don't hold personal responsibility. I'm not, I'm not angry at you. Well, I had been angry at him. I've been very angry at him. But God had taken that anger and bitterness away. And you see, you see the result. I give that to you as a, as a, a prime way of discussing the life of David. Because you see, that's what was going on with David, who for 15 years is pursued by Saul, and yet David never once lifted his hand to stop Saul. Uh, and, And one of the things that God expects us to do is to give our problems and trust in God. It's a big deal. I understand that. Because most of you, all of you, have had some success in life. 
All of you have had some success in life. And when you've had some success in life, it's like you think you can take care of those issues in life that brought you success. It's almost like, don't worry, Jesus, I got this covered. Sunday, I need you, God, you know, to elevate my thoughts. But during the week, I'm pretty good at covering these things. Instead, God is saying to you, I want to be the God of everything. I want to cover everything. Uh, and, and so as I, I focus on this, and we're going to see David in the lesson today make a major mistake. Here he is. He's going to make another major mistake. He's going he's to go back and compromise his faith. He's going to give up his trust in God, and he's going to go back and encamp himself in the land of the Philistines. And in fact, we'll try to join the Philistine army against the uh, Israel army. Can you believe that? It's like you can't believe this when I mean, you see it. But, but here's the point, that each and every one of us is so close to failure. Don't think that because you've been in the work for 30, 40, 50 years, that you're, you have an elevated position in the church, that God has used you, that you're not subject to failure and falling in your faith. If David fell repeatedly, where are we? I can tell you that I have to speak for myself. I recognize this about myself. I ask God always, protect me, Lord, protect me. Lead me not into temptation. What do you think that prayer is about? Because I know what'll happen if I put myself in compromising positions. I know, I don't wanna test myself. I wanna be God's man. And I want you to turn, if you would, to, to uh, 1 Peter chapter two. Just to uh, put a period on this as we begin to discuss this. First, period, uh, first Peter chapter two, verse 21. To this you were called, meaning this, this walk, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's what this is about. That's what I'm hoping that, that, you, that this will resonate with you at the end of this year's study. To entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, to the one who will take care of your life, who will take the decision-making for you in your life, who will avenge you when you need to be avenged, who will seek justice for you when you will seek justice, provided you obey him, follow him, extend love and forgiveness. You understand what I just said? All right, these are conditional things. God will do that, but are you walking with God? Are you walking with God? Are you being the kind of man that God wants you to be? Are you following his commandments? Are you extending love? Are you extending love? Uh, and, and so as you do that, as you follow his walk and extend his love and follow his commandments, he will take care of these things. And it's only after three years of being taken back and forth in court, having spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on something I never should have had to go through because I tried to help somebody. I should never have had to go through it. Uh, and because of that, uh, ultimately, during that period of time, was I forgiving? No, I hated him. I hated him. He was ruining my life. Every day I would have to address 
interrogatories or depositions and prepare a defense every day. Uh, and I saw the money go out every month, and it, it hurt me. It, the, it wasn't the money. It was the pain that I had put myself in this situation. Can you guys sign on with something like that? In other words, the recrimination that I had allowed myself to fall into this and having to see it month after month after month came back and haunted me until finally, finally, finally God took it away and, and, and said you have to forgive. And not only do you have to forgive, you have to pray. This thing will not end until you bow your knees in a hallway outside a courtroom in New Jersey and pray with him. Okay, that's what you want. That's what you want. That's what I did. And I know that there are lives that have been impacted by that beyond which I will never know. Beyond which I will never know. But I want you to know that story because it's appropriate for us as we study the life of David. And so now we're going to begin with uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27. And, and it, this, is just, this is just an amazing story. Honestly, if somebody wrote this for the movies, you wouldn't believe it. Right? So here we follow on uh, chapter 26. And in chapter 26, you know that David walks into the camp of Saul. Uh, and they're all sleeping. And could have killed Saul, but spared Saul's life. And so as he takes his spear and his water jug, he walks about, uh, who knows, a quarter of a mile, maybe less, up a hill, and effectively begins a dialogue <clears throat> with Saul and with his number one commander, Abner, showing them that he could have killed him, uh, but he didn't, that God spared, spared his life, that he's a righteous man. Why are you doing this to me? And Saul again says, oh, please forgive me. Please forgive me. You are my son. Come back, come back, come back. And, and you, you see, we see what I call human sentimentality as distinguished from real repentance. You understand? Human sentimentality. You see this a lot in, in, uh, uh, in death row. You know, when people will talk about uh, the fact that, you know, they've killed people and, and they're sorry. And the question is, but are there, is there real repentance? You don't often see real heartfelt repentance because real heartfelt repentance really shows a, a, a desperate love for forgiveness for the family that's been hurt, for the, for the uh, conditions that you've wrought, for, for all the evil that you've spread. You don't see this here. You see the same tired language. I love you. You're my son. I've been wrong, but there's no change in character. If without a change in character, without a change in the course of conduct, there is no real repentance. Uh, and so we see this. And so David now, after having again been spared by God, has been spared by God, now David will have to make a decision. Uh, should he continue to let God handle his affairs, trust in God, or should he now do something that he thinks would be appropriate to save himself. And sadly, sadly, David will choose the latter. David will decide, you know what? I can't stay in Israel and Judea any longer. I have to go to the Philistines. I have to go over to the Philistines because Saul will be afraid to come after me in the Philistine countryside. And so he goes to the Philistine countryside and seeks to join up with the Philistine army. This is unbelievable, really. And so let's read uh, chapter 27, 1 Samuel 27. 
But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Now let me stop right there. Uh, David, you thought one of these days you're going to be destroyed by the hand of Saul. I'm reading day after day, month after month, where God protects you. Where God has protected you. Why would you think that God would not protect you any longer? That he would stop protecting you? Why would you think that? There was no reason to think that. But you see, this is how, how human nature works. Don't think you're any different. Don't think you're sitting here and go, boy, I'm glad I'm not David. No, that's right. Yeah, you're glad you're not David. He's only in the lineage of Jesus Christ. He's only the greatest king that would ever inhabit Israel. Uh, yes, but he has warts. And that's what God is saying to you. Yes, you have warts. Recognize you have warts. And so David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I will slip out of his hand. Brilliant plan. So David and 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Mahok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoham of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, this is now verse 4 on 1 Samuel 27, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eye, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? And, and the, the point of that is David's not looking to stay in the royal city. He's looking to kind of be out of, off the radar screen to sit in the countryside. Verse 6, so that day Achish gave him Ziklag, and it's belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. Isn't that interesting? That that was a Philistine city, and yet uh, as a result of this, Ziklag has now become part of, of, of uh, Israel. Just very interesting. Um, verse 7, David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. So 16 months now, David is going to reside in the country of the Philistines, the avowed enemy of Israel. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur and, and Egypt. By the way, there was a decree of God that, that, the, uh, that these people should be wiped out because these people had attacked the Jews as they came out of Egypt. There they were, a nascent country coming out, not, had no army really at that point, and, and these people had, a, had really come down upon the Jewish people, attacked them, and so God had given a decree that they should be wiped out. And so every time that there was a battle in which these people were involved, there was total destruction. I mean, really, God, God really visited total destruction uh, on these people, and you're going to see this. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur in Egypt, right outside of Egypt. When David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or a woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he turned to Achish. I know that sounds severe, but that was part and parcel of God's decree on these rebel people. Verse uh, 10, when Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of Jeharamiel or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath for he thought they might inform on us 
and say this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. Can you believe this? David, the anointed future king of Israel, is now in bed with the Philistines? You can't believe it. But you see what happens when we fall away from God's grace for his plan and his life. We have no idea the extent to how we're gonna, we're gonna fall. And so you see this here as you read this passage. Uh, and, and so God wanted David to live in a more consistent way in difficult times. Uh, and that's what God was trying to do. And, and so the Lord was training him to be a king who would lead with obedience and faith even during dark times. And we could see here that that lesson still had not been completed. Uh, and, and so we understand it. Uh, and so David flees from, from Israel, goes to Achish, uh, the king of Gath, uh, and winds up getting the city of Ziklag uh, as a place to, be, to live. And so he concludes it is safer there. And so he's 28 years old. Uh, and here's the point. Within 16 months of this period of time, Saul will be killed. Uh, and a significant shift would take place in his life. And yet now here he is in the land of the Philistines. You see, you see what happens when you take things into your own hand. Uh, and, and so David is thinking, I'll sit outside of the city of Gath. I'll sit where nobody will see me. I won't be accountable to anybody. Uh, I want to be isolated, but here's the other side of that. When you're isolated, when you're away from everybody, you are vulnerable to raids. You are vulnerable to raids. And remember, they had their family there. They had their children, their wives, everything there. Uh, and so what happens? Uh, it is backfires. It backfires uh, terribly. Uh, and so we, there's some, <clears throat> in the chronology as you read here now, so, uh, chapters 28, 29, and 30, we can't chronologically read through it because there's a section in here in, in chapter 28 in which the chronology is broken, and that's a chapter that talks about Saul reaching out for the witches of Endor, uh, asking, asking for wisdom. Now, you know that that was an absolute violation of God's will. God, God did not allow uh, any fortune-telling, any kind of witchcraft, and yet here is the anointed king of Israel seeking witches. Uh, we're not going to talk about that right now. We'll talk about that at another point. But, but the story here resumes uh, in 1 Samuel 29. 1 Samuel 29. And so to, if you read this, take a look at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered all their forces at Apek and Israel camped by the, the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine leaders marched with their units of hundreds and thousands and they are preparing to attack Israel. You got this? David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? Now think about it. You're a Philistine general. What is it like to have David the Jew who had slain Goliath, who they said David has killed his thousands. David, the great warrior, who had uh, the Jewish warrior. He's now in the rear guard. You think that's a problem? 
It'd be a problem for me. It'd be a problem for me. And, and you, see, you see the dissonance. It doesn't even make sense. This is what happens when we act outside of God's will. We're doing goofy things. He's now marching in the Philistine army, and he's going to be marching against Israel. You're, you're the anointed future king of Israel. God has anointed you, and you are going to go against the people that God anointed you to live? I, I lead, I mean, I, I'm, I'm astounded. And yet as I am astounded, God's speaking to me and saying to me, you see, John, don't think that you are not incapable of doing some stupid things. Don't think you're not incapable of doing stupid things. Really, really. If David could do it, where do you think you are? Uh, I mean, now here's, the, here's the lesson here. Here is the lesson. Uh, what about these Hebrews? Right after verse 3, is part of verse 3. Achish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He, he has already been with me for over a year. And from that day he left Saul until now. I have found no fault in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, Send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own man? You almost wonder, like, like what was David thinking he was going to do? I mean, if you're marching in battle, are you actually going to turn against these guys who had given you shelter? I, I frankly don't think he would have done that. I think that he had, he had lost his mind so, so significantly that he was prepared because Saul was leading uh, uh, Judea that he was going to fight against them. Uh, I think that he was going to do that. And, and so you, you see this and it makes you say, Lord, help me, Father. Give me grace. Uh, verse 5, isn't this, and this, I love this, and this, this is the Philistine saying this, isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. <clears throat> so Achish called David and said to him, as surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. Now this is God sparing David. And sometimes God spares you through the voice of pagans. You understand? Sometimes we'll do everything in our power to do the wrong thing, to go against God's will, and yet God will raise up somebody who's not godly, who will step up and say something that God is using them to do in order to save you. Here's a case of God saving David's historical lineage. David would never be allowed, would never be used by God uh, to ascend to the throne. I don't believe so. If he had done this, just as if he had killed Saul. If he had done this, I believe that God would have taken uh, that anointing away from him uh, and would have pursued another course. And yet God intervened. And so Achish, Achish does this and says, just go away. Don't do anything that would cause anger from the other Philistine rulers. Just go back. And David then argues Verse 8, but what have I done, asked David? What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my Lord the King? Are you listening to yourself? 
Are you listening to yourself? Why can't I go and fight against the Jews? Did you forget where you came from? Who God has anointed you? Where your lineage is? What you will be? I mean, just think about this. Just think about if this is David. And that's what's resonating with me right now in my heart. When I think of the stupid things that I've done in my life, the mistakes I've done that God has spared me. He has spared me. And I'm sure all of you uh, can give similar testimony where God has intervened in your lives and spared you somehow of some disastrous decision that you were going to do that was going to wreck your spiritual destiny. That's what we're talking about here. Your spiritual destiny. God intends to have a use for you in the kingdom. And you see here how David was ready to, to go down the trap door uh, and be wrecked. Achish answered in verse 9, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said he must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master's servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And so here he is. You can't fight with us. You cannot fight against the Jews. You cannot fight against Saul. You, you, we don't want you as part of us. We don't trust you. Uh, and, he, and he rebels against that, but he reluctantly agrees. And so now he goes back, uh, and now he goes back to his homeland in the Philistine countryside to Ziklag. <clears throat> uh, and so what happens? There's an example of what happens next when you stumble into compromise. All right? Here's what happens when you stumble into compromise. Yes, God has protected him. Uh, God has delivered him from a fatal, mortal decision that will affect his spiritual destiny. But in this world, in this world, there are consequences to our actions. You understand that? There are still consequences to our actions. Uh, and so now what happens? Well, David goes back uh, to Ziklag to be with his family. But what happens when he gets there? When he gets there, he finds that, uh, that the uh, entire uh, area where he is inhabited in, in Ziklag has been destroyed by the Amalekites. Look at verse, chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Now here it is. They carry them off. They burn the place to the ground. They take their possessions and they carry the, the women and children off. They didn't kill them, but they carried them off. Now it's a miracle that they didn't kill them, knowing that David, how David would have done if he had attacked in their, in their position. And so they burn the city, uh, and so now we see the result of compromise. What happens when we sin, when we fall away from God, when we don't listen to God, when we give in to Satan, when we, when we follow the way of the world? There are consequences. Don't think, don't think that God will put a protective wall around you when you act continually stupidly. God's trying to teach you something. And for some of us, the only way we get, we get it through our thick skulls is when he hits us with a two-by-four. Well, guess what? David had just been hit, hit with a two-by-four. Uh, and so it's interesting here uh, because David didn't let his sin 
He didn't let his sin or his compromise effectuate a cut in his relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. Think about that. Now he knows he's wrong. He knows that he's been suffered a consequence because of his, his act, and yet he did not cut off his communication with God. Look at verse three. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. You think it's easy when you review the consequences of your sin? You think it's easy? You think that's a, that's a trip you want to take? You're brokenhearted. You can't believe that you did it. You see what happens. You see, the, you see what God has, has allowed to take place in your life. This is what happens when evil encamps around us. Three, they just weep continually for days until they had no strength. David's two wives had been captured. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The men were talking of stoning him? That's right. Because you're the guy who dreamed up this plan. You're the leader. We're following you. This was your plan. We went, we went to Gath, and now you left Ziklag alone. And now look at this. And so David goes from being this great heroic figure, the man who slays Goliath, now to having his own army threaten to stone him. I mean, you see this, this picture. It's incredible. Uh, and, and so what happens? Uh, because these men are so bitter. And so verse 7, and this I want to focus on. So in the middle of recognizing that he has displeased God, in the middle of recognized that, that he has compromised his faith, that he's walked away from God, he still though now recognizes that God, God is the centerpiece of his life. He asks God, to review it. Look in verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. <coughs> and so David comes back to God. And so now David says, God, tell me, what should I do? How do I make this right? What do I do? And so God answers him. Pursue them. Go after them. You will, you will overtake the, the, uh, the Amalekites. And so <clears throat> David begins to go after the Amalekites. But because of the mental and physical fatigue of marching three days back from Gath and now going on this march to go after the Amalekites, of the 600 men, one-third of them, 200, can't go any further. They're shot. They're mentally and physically worn out. They cannot make the march. And so they stop at this brook of Basur uh, and say, we can't go any further. And so David allows them to stay there and protect their supplies. And so 400 of the men continue to go after the Amalekites. Um, so two-thirds go forward, one-third stays back. And so David gets there. He overtakes the, the Amalekites, and he finds them in a celebratory mood. They're not preparing for anybody to come and attack them. Instead, they're celebrating their victory. They're eating and drinking and were unprepared for, for battle. <clears throat> and David conquers. And he takes back all the spoils. And he takes back uh, the, his wives and all the people that, that had been taken, kidnapped uh, from Ziklag, are brought back and restored. And so David now, if, if you read the Psalms, 
particularly Psalm 18. Uh, that's a psalm written to celebrate the victory that God has given him. Also, Psalm 55 does the same thing. It, it, it tells us that, that uh, God has lifted up David during these periods of times. Look at Psalm 55. Just want to just check uh, two verses, eight and nine, if you would. I mean, I, I find this to be interesting when we go back and connect these psalms to specific periods of times in David's life. Psalm 55, verse eight. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Confuse the wicked, O Lord. Confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. And so, effectively, David is, is saying there, uh, Lord, be with me, protect me, confound those who are, who are against me. Um, and so you see that God has done this. And so now, we're not done. We're not done yet from strife and turmoil. Because now he brings back the spoils. And now the spoils are to be divided up against the, amongst the army. But guess what? The guys that fought the battle don't want to divide up the spoils with the 200 people that stayed back and guided the supplies. They only wanted to have the guys who fought the battle uh, uh, be in charge and, and divide up the spoils. Those that stayed back, they did not want to allow them to, to share in the spoils. And David intervened and saw and said that all, all would, would share equally. All would share equally. It was one unified effort. All of them were together, whether some were in the back lines guarding the supplies, or whether some were in the front lines making the attack, that, that as far as David was concerned, and this is the wisdom of God, this is the wisdom of God, uh, they were all involved in the work of God. And this becomes a foundational principle in the work of God. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because that's what this lesson ultimately leads to. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12. How do we operate in the kingdom of God? In the body of Jesus Christ? Is there a sense of importance? Are some more important than others? Or are we all important to advance the work of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now we are talking about the uh, universal church of God, the universal church of Jesus Christ, across denominational lines. Did you hear what I just said? Across denominational lines. Not one denomination, but many denominations throughout the world universally dedicated to advancing the work of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, understand that within that confine and paradigm, the body of Christ has many parts. There is one head. Jesus Christ is the head. But that body has many parts. It has hands. It has fingers. It has feet. It has legs. Now, how ridiculous, how ridiculous would it be for the hand to say, I'm much more important than the, the foot. I should be given a, a, an elevated position because I'm the hand. 
You can't grasp anything. You can't hold anything. You can't protect yourself. Uh, look at the, the foot is, is nowhere as necessary I am, really. Really, is that what you think? I mean, you understand the stupidity of even thinking like that. And Paul is writing this to impress this to us. Look at verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, it would not for, the reason, for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all in one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Now, I want to say this to you right now because this is an important part of this lesson today, but the, all of the lessons that we've done this year. God has given every single man in this room some spiritual gift. Some of you have received multiple gifts. None of you have received all of the gifts. But I want you to understand, there's not a man in this room that has not received a gift. And what do I mean by that? Well, some, some of you uh, have the gift of helps, meaning that God has given you an understanding of, of what, what needs to be done to advance the kingdom of God. A helping hand, uh, helping out in prison work, helping out in, in homeless shelters, helping out in the church, helping out in this ministry here. That's a gift of helps. Uh, so, some of you have been given a gift of encouragement that you can go to people who are downhearted, who it's, have, have suffered illness and raise them up. You can go to hospitals and make visits and raise them up. That's a gift. Some of you have been gift, given the gift of giving. Giving. What do I mean by that? I mean that God has poured affluence into your life because God expected you to use that affluence as a gift in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I said to some people today that, that when I looked at them and I saw this gift, I said, it is as if God gave you a gift like this so that when Moses would lift up his arms to protect his people in the middle of the battle, as his arms were held aloft, they won the battle, but as his arms sank, they were defeated. And his brother uh, and another associate came forward and elevated Moses' arms. God has called some of you to elevate the arms of the leadership. You may not be the speaker. You may not be the preacher, but you're just as important because your role is to elevate the leadership, to elevate the arms, to do what God has given you to do. This really resonates with me today as I see this story where he's dividing up the spoils and within the army, they have decided that some are more important than others. Nobody in the kingdom of God is more important than anybody else. All right? The fact that God has called me to preach and teach does not make me more important than you. I am bowing in submission to God to do what he has called me to do. It has nothing to do with importance of me. Nothing. Believe me. And I'll say something else. If I don't do what God has called me to do, woe unto me. 
Exactly. Woe unto me. All right? Woe unto me. And likewise, friend, likewise, friend, if you have not stepped up to do what God has called you to do, you finish the sentence. All right? This is serious. This is serious. One body. One body. God has planted you in that body. You are a part of that body. There is a place for you in the kingdom of God. Now, the question is, what what are you going to do in terms of the gifts that God has given you? Uh, How are you going to advance the kingdom of God? This is a very, very important discussion. A very important discussion. Uh, And he continues on verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. How about that? You think some of the parts of the body look like they're a little less important, yet they're completely indispensable. Uh, What's the year? Really? Try going through life death. Try seeing what happens, and you, and you begin to understand this. Uh, and, uh, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Amen? Let's understand this. I want to basically make sure that I tie this on a bow today. You see the story of David. You see what happens when you compromise your life. You see what happens when sin comes in. You see what happens, and yet David pulled himself out through the grace of God. God protected David. Uh, Even the Philistine, the pagan, spoke up, I'm sure, at the behest of God to send David back. David went back, and recognizing that he sinned, he went before God and asked for wisdom. What should I do? And God gave him the victory. And now in the sense of the victory, God, David had to come to terms with what is the Christian principle that we will go forward with in this work. What is the foundational principle? The foundational principle is that there is unity in the work of God, that God has called each and every one of us for a purpose in his kingdom. He has given each of you a gift. God expects you to use that gift, to use that gift for the advancement of God, and he will honor you when you will do that. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the lesson that you've given us today. Father, I ask you to help us consider it and let it grow in our hearts this week. Help us, Lord, to see the lessons of David, that even as a great man, warts come out, and we are subject to failure. Let that be the mindset for us, Lord, that we never get so proud and lift ourselves up that we think that we are immune to temptation. Be with our men, protect them, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.